Hello friends, uh, if you've got Bibles, please open up to Mark chapter 6, verse 31, or if you're like me, we're going to read off the screen, so you can follow along there. I believe this is the NIV version on the screen, for those that are curious. <clears throat> then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish he, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Good morning, my name's Luke. Really glad to be with you in this part of the Gospel of Mark. We're, we're walking through Mark's Gospel this year until Easter. We did it last year, so we're plodding along, jumping a few bits, filling in the gaps uh, from last year when we were walking through the Gospel of Mark. Hey, let's just pause for a moment. I want to acknowledge officially today is Steamer's um, first day on in our kids' ministry as our associate pastor. Amanda finished up last week um, as a volunteer for the last eight years. She put together our content kids' packs in January. So just want you to know, officially, Steamer is the guy um, looking after our kids' ministry, and I want to take the time to, once again, um, as we did at the end of last year, just say thank you, appreciate Amanda's generosity over eight years and her love of Jesus and his people. So, so you all know, Steamer's now uh, officially on board and into that today. So back to Mark. Um, 
so what is it? What, is, what do you think when, you, when you, someone says or you chat with someone about Jesus and the Gospels, what do you think the common stories are that you hear? What are they? This one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeding 5,000 and walking on the water. They, they, they are, Natasha said it. So well known, in fact, that in the miracles of Jesus, they, uh, in the Gospel account, they appear in all four. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Water into wine, another very famous one. Yes, yeah. They're very loved stories about Jesus. In Mark, there's two walking on water accounts, Mark 4 and Mark 6. Uh, we're looking at Mark 6 today. But you know that for such well-known stories, what isn't well-known is that they're actually a unit. They, they fit together, and you may have seen that at the end after the whole calming the waves and the wind. Uh, their hearts were hard because they didn't understand the loaves. They fit together as a unit. The feeding gives context to the walking on the water. And you see this because the crowd's reaction isn't recorded in amazement. There's no mention of it after the feeding. They may not have even known where the food came from. Then in 645, the word immediately shows up. So we're to keep reading without a break. Don't stop. And then in verse 50, as I said, Jesus mentioned the loaves once he calms the storm. Moreover, what isn't well known either, and Natasha helped draw it out, is the big focus is actually on Jesus and the disciples. The people being fed, the wind, that's Jesus' agenda to teach the disciples and us about his generosity to them. Jesus provides, uh, proves, to, in what, proves to us in what he does that he is the mighty God who cares for his world and wants to help and be with his people. And the Christian hope and life is one of following our big, generous God. And that's the idea. That's the, the talk title today is our big, generous God. We follow a generous God. And Jesus' generosity is seen in three ways in this section. And I want you to look out for them along the way. Uh, they're not my headings, but I hope you'll see these three things today. It's firstly, Jesus sees us. So look out for this. Notice when Jesus sees the disciples in the crowds. Secondly, notice when Jesus provides and third, notice that Jesus is with us. So Jesus sees, provides, and is with us. Look out for them, and I'll draw you back to that at the end to see if you saw them along the way. So let's look firstly at the five, um, feeding of the 5,000. And the, the context of the feeding is actually Jesus is compassionate. So if you jump back a few verses into Mark 6, verse 14 to 29, we didn't read them, but let me give you the context. Mark, the author of this part of the Bible, describes a very lavish banquet of another king, King Herod. And the two banquets and the feeding of the 5,000 with Jesus and Herod's big feast could not be more different in contrast. Herod has a lavish, out-of-control, power-hungry, disrespectful meal compared to Jesus' banquet of sitting on the grass, teaching the people who are not important in society's eyes, showing once again Jesus' is good news for the least, last, and the lost. And his banquet as well uh, anticipates, Jesus' one does, anticipates a time when the generosity of God will extend beyond 5,000 to all the Christians across all time, eating with him in a new heavens and earth, where a terror's finished. And while in this life, Jesus' followers don't have the things we would always like, like perfect kids, or the healthiest bank account, or the best home and clothes, or always going to the places we'd like to, we follow a God who is generous. We do not follow a God who holds back his kindness and goodness. We don't follow a stingy God. We don't meet a Jesus in the gospel accounts who only gives half his life. He says, I love you enough to just say nice things for you. 
We meet a Jesus who is fully and wholly generous with himself. And this is the God that we and the disciples follow. And the disciples learn this lesson in the context, again, of exhaustion. So in chapter 6, verse 31, they're too busy and they can't eat. And last week we saw how busy Jesus was, and it spills over into chapter 6. So Jesus says, let's get away to a solitary place. He says, let's go off by ourselves, you guys. And so in 6.32, they go over to the side of the lake, hoping to be by themselves, except the people uh, meet them there already. The crowds are just so big. And it was, it'll be like going to Glenelg on a hot summer's day. It's so busy. But then you've got the ice cream in your car, and everyone wants to see you. And so this is Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus was looking for R&R with his followers. And so in verse 34, look how he responds when he sees the needs of the people. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The word compassion comes from an old French word meaning to suffer with. Jesus sees the human suffering. He enters into the lostness of these people and he does something about it. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd who is aware of life as a sheep. Jesus steps into people's sufferings with compassion to lead us towards God, whereas the current crop of Pharisees and scribes and CEOs that are around in Jesus' day, they're terribly corrupt and only interested in their kingdom, not easing the burdens of those who are desperately searching for something with the good news of the kingdom of God. To those who are lost, lonely, unsure, afraid, the teaching about the kingdom of God gives life and hope and direction. That's what happens. This is the context in which we're to see Jesus as the generous one. Firstly, Mark says, Jesus is the compassionate one, teaching them with a heart to lead people towards God. But Jesus' heart for people and compassion creates a moment of conflict for the disciples uh, as the compassion of Jesus gives way, let's just skip over, um, to the unreasonableness of Jesus. So he's there teaching them, and then there's conflict, like all good stories, there's a conflict that happens as the disciples come up to Jesus in verse 35, and they're really anxious. Um, they need food, Jesus? Stop teaching? You should really send them away to buy some. Verse 36. The disciples have boundaries, and they're quite legitimate. People are hungry, need to eat. But then Jesus is absolutely unreasonable. In verse 37, he just defies logic. You give them something to eat. When I was a youth pastor many years ago, we would often do things called junk food crawls. If you don't know what a junk food crawl is, you just bundle up 50 to 75 teenagers in cars and buses, drive to three or four or five fast food shops for the evening, and you walk in and say, excuse me, can I have 75 ice cream cones? And you watch the 15-year-old kids' faces at Macca's just freak out. And, and usually... At cone number 30, they say, sorry, our machine's broken. And then you go to Subway and say, can I have 75 cookies? And then you go to Macca's and again and say, can I, or HJ's, can I have, you know, 75 cheeseburgers? Oh, I freak out. Yeah. This is, that reaction is the disciples. It, 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 Macca's has the ability, though, to do it. Generally, they're quite okay at doing fast food. But the disciples don't have money or infrastructure. It would take a catering team days with a budget as big as a music festival to pull this one off. 
So then Jesus says something even more ridiculous. Well, what do you have? As if somehow everyone has enough to feed themselves. So how many loaves in verse 38? They look and they come back. But look what they do. He says how many loaves and they say five. We also found two fish. They're so desperate. They're grabbing at anything to try and feed these people. But seven pieces of food is not enough for over 5,000. There's a big conflict here. But then the conclusion just blows their mind. Jesus says, sit down, like a host at a great banquet, sit. And like a host, he takes the food, he makes all the arrangements for feeding at least 5,000 men plus all the women and kids. He looks up to heaven and thanks God, he breaks it up and asks the disciples to hand it out. It's a very basic meal, distributed by the followers of Jesus. There's no pomp, there's no ceremony like other banquets. Mark doesn't record the people's reaction, in fact. Here is a shepherd who gently leads the people to green pastures to both feed and teach about life with a good shepherd. But also, we have to keep in mind that twice before in history, God has done something very similar. In Exodus chapter 16 in the wilderness, God made manna come down from heaven, providing food for his people. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha also multiplied bread. Both show, in those Old Testament stories, show the generosity of God looking after the needs of his people at different times in history in different ways. And Jesus does it here, cluing us in and the disciples on a key idea here. Jesus is God. And God is generous. Jesus gives abundantly beyond expectation or obligation. And he can use creation to show his generosity. He gives more than what they need because it says they picked up 12 baskets at the end to pop in the fridge as leftovers. Now, one other thing to emphasize, all the numbers that you would have read through this passage... There's no hidden meaning. All they're showing is the massive magnitude of the generosity of God. That's what they're about. Therefore, when you put it together, what Jesus is doing and showing the disciples is that he's the good shepherd, the messianic, in fact, shepherd that we've been longing for, generously leading the people of God with compassion and kindness, seeing, teaching, providing for them. Now, if you're a disciple... Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. What would that do to your vision of Jesus at that moment? Is your vision of God stingy or generous? God is more generous than we imagine. Please don't diminish your view of God here. Now the challenge is seeing God do this is one thing, but when circumstances come about your life, in the life of the disciples, we can drift away from a vision of God and his generosity that we've tasted and seen. Our hearts can grow hard, as happened to the disciples in verse 52, because seeing the bread is one thing, but in the wild wind of a storm, any confidence and amazement they had hours early is blown away. But the generous God they follow is the supernatural God, who has power over all creation, bread, fish, waves, and water. And, like we saw at the start, Mark wants us to know that before Jesus walks on water, he's actually the caring one. Jesus is the caring one. This is the context. So immediately after, Jesus sends the disciples away. 
in verse 45. He dismisses the crowds. He knows they need a rest. You guys just hop on the boat. I'll take care of it. Then Jesus goes to a mountain in verse 46. Now from this vantage point, Jesus can see the disciples on the lake, the crowds scattering away. But he can also see the disciples are rowing furiously against the wind. Notice the mentions of the wind. It's also night time. So this lake is not very big, but night comes, and Jesus comes at dawn a bit later on. So they're, they're, they're doing a lot of work and getting nowhere. Jesus is on land, the boat's on the water. That's the setting. So does Jesus care about them? Yes. Does Jesus send them on the boat? Yes. Is Jesus alone and away from the disciples? Yes. Again, it sets up a moment in which the disciples see Jesus, but again, there's a huge conflict. They just can't seem to cope with the Jesus who is God when he shows up in their life. Because Jesus is astonishing. And just as Jesus saw the crowds, Mark makes it clear he sees the disciples here as well. As the crowds had no shepherd, so the disciples on a boat, they are shepherdless too. He sees their distress. That's the idea. And then in, in Mark, as he's already recorded in Mark 4, there's another boat storm moment. But this time it's very different. There's no mention of a storm as such. It's more emphasizing the wind. This is a story about the futility of getting nowhere. Their rowing is just useless because the wind is so strong they don't make any progress. Don't think danger. They're not in danger of capsizing or falling out. They're just suffering and struggling and absolutely exhausted. But don't think Jesus turns a blind eye. He goes out to meet them on the lake. Mark has set up Jesus as the good, caring shepherd of God. Except there's a phrase in verse 48, maybe you heard it or you've looked down to it, and it, it, it sounds as if Jesus doesn't care, because in verse 48 it says, uh, he, he passed by them. He went to pass by. Why would Jesus do that? Well, firstly, passed by does not mean avoid like going to the other side of the road when you don't want to chat with someone. You would say, oh, I passed by Jenny at the shops today. Oh, did you say it? No, I just passed by. But that's the avoid. Again, keep the Old Testament in our eyes because that gives a clue, as, as I gave a clue to the feeding, gives us a clue to the passing by. So in Exodus chapter 34, very famous chapter, it's the concept of divinity passing by humanity when God, in all his glory, walked past Moses as he was behind a rock. Now, Moses couldn't see God because he was too glorious. He had to hide behind a rock. God passed by Moses, not to avoid, but to come close, to show off who he was. And so while the disciples are struggling, Jesus simply walks along, calmly over the chaotic winds and water, doing the same thing. What Mark is recording for us and them is this moment when the glory of God is seen over futility, as he passed by his people, not to avoid them, but to be close to them, which is what happens because the disciples see him. Now in the Exodus verses, when Moses saw God and God came past, God proclaimed his compassion and kindness to Moses. And Jesus does the same thing here. And he shows it. He walks up to them because he's the same God and he says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And the disciples' terror isn't calmed by Jesus saying, I'm not a ghost. He say, it is I. I am the eternal, never-ending God of creation, walking out to you, 
passing by to be with you because then Jesus hops in the boat. Take courage in that, God. And then because of that, the conclusion is that Jesus is actually the secure one because the wind stops. But the disciples are still very much out of their depth, aren't they? Because their hearts can't beat. In fact, they're too hard to get it. Because Jesus says, they didn't, you haven't got the loaves. Well, what does that mean? Well, simply they have not yet seen Jesus as the compassionate divine son of God, the good shepherd who calls them, who provides for them, who cares for them, who can see them, who they can rely upon for timely help at mealtime or on the boat time or any time, in fact. They, like us, so often struggle to translate God's compassionate kindness in one moment in life into the next season of life that we're in. Remember those three things at the start? Jesus sees, he provides, and he's with us. From the feeding of the 5,000 to the wind and walking on the water, the disciples are learning Jesus is a generous God who knows no bounds and no limits. That in all moments... Jesus himself is enough to meet their needs no matter what it looks like. And Jesus meets them every time with himself and amazing them at who he is. And it's the same for us. We need to keep learning that Jesus is generous. From seeing them, from teaching them, providing food, revealing God, calming the wind, making them secure with his presence on the boat, we follow a generous God who is close. This is not a lesson about Jesus calming your storms or giving you all you want. The bread and the water walking for them in a moment in time reminds us the same Jesus who lives and reigns is generous and present. And this God will be with us in our future. That this God is not a stingy God. He gave us himself as evidence of his kindness. Romans 8.34 I think. If God gave his own son, how will he not freely in him give us all things? You see, the greatest gift is actually Christ dying for us, forgiving us to satisfy God's anger because we've all turned away like lost sheep. We all fail to appreciate his generosity. And is that not our struggle when theirs too? From moment to moment, as things change, we need to reorientate and relearn again what it means to follow our generous God. This year in front of you, tomorrow school goes back for all the primary school kids. You're going to go into year 12 soon. Uni is getting harder because you're in fourth year or fifth year. You have a new job. The kids are getting older. Your home demands are increasing. You're about to become a parent. Your rent has gone up. Life admin is getting over the top of you. Unexpected bills have come and you're feeling lonely. And that's just January. You've got 11 more months to survive. You know, 2024 brings so much with it. And we will feel like the disciples at times, anxious over the time because there's no food and then stressed in a boat because I'm not making any progress and feel like my life is futile and going nowhere. But into this, the calm, compassionate presence of Jesus is close. He sees you. Do you see him? And finally, let me say this. As you go into the year two, you can know a generous God, but you also get to be generous like your God. 
because that's the nature and the heart of God you follow and who he's making you to be. The God we follow is generous and we echo his kindness to others. God's generosity to us is what changes our hearts and views and attitudes. Remember, Jesus asked the disciples to carry the bread to others so they could receive his generosity. So while Jesus is generous to you in every way, have you thought what it likes to show that generosity to others so they can know the generosity of God too? And may I say, and I'll finish with this, I am so thankful to God that I serve a generous church. I'm thankful that you are a generous bunch sitting here today because I've seen that. I've seen that in your support of our associate steamer coming on board. I've seen that in the Corolla's report of so many of you stepping into new serving roles or adjusting what you're doing for this year. Um, I've seen that through your welcome on a Sunday, through hearing what happens midweek. I am so thankful to God that you are a generous bunch and that we serve a generous God. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm very thankful for each one of you. I appreciate that because God is making you generous and that's a wonderful thing. So thank you for being a generous church. But let's keep following our generous God into all moments of our life. Let me pray. Our great God, you are not stingy. You have not held yourself back from us, but given us in Jesus Christ everything we need for life with you. And from him, you provide all our needs. One day, Lord, we'll be in your presence completely fully feasting with you in the goodness and generosity of you, basking in your glory. And until that day, set that vision in our minds and hearts. No matter what may come, may we be secure in you, knowing that you see us and you are with us in every season of this year. So thank you, Jesus, that you are the generous one we can follow. Amen.